Well, it is an exciting time of year. It's grad season, right? High school grads, college grads. How many grads in the house? Okay. Yeah, there's a couple there. Okay. Parents, families of grads. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. It's a great time. Um, uh, I want to ask the grads, um, how many of, of you graduates are graduating by accident? <laughs> One. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you that, Roy. Um, right? Those of you who are getting 3.5s and 4.0 GPAs, how many of you got there by mistake or, or just dumb luck? Yeah. Yeah. You know it's not true. You at least had to get out of bed in the morning and get there every day and get those assignments in on time. Accomplishments come with effort. And it's that way with any accomplishment, school or otherwise, but it's also that way with relationships. Successful relationships um, require an effort, including marriage. Success is not accidental. It's not good luck. And as we continue in this message series we call Family Strong today, we're, we're going to talk about marriage and successful marriage. And I know not everyone in the house is, is married um, this morning if you're single if you're divorced, if you're widowed, uh, I want you to know that this message is not meant in any way to ignore or exclude you. Um, you at least know some married couples, and maybe this can be a prompt for you to pray for them and support them. I wanted to remind you that your value, your identity, your worth, right, is not in your marital status. Single, widowed, divorced, just as my worth is not found in being Married, being a married person. So if you're a believer in Jesus, your identity is that of a child of God. That's your identity. Other things change, but that doesn't. So I want to kind of lay that out for you. But I am mostly speaking to you who are married or who might eventually get married or maybe you're well on the way to getting married. I got to tell you, marriage done right is awesome. Marriage done right is fantastic. I want to read a little verse from Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 22. The wise man says this, The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. Another way you could say this is that the, the person who finds a spouse finds a treasure, and they receive favor from the Lord. I think more literally it's, the man who, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, a treasure. If you're following in your outline this morning, this would be the first point in your marriage, that a good marriage is not an accident. A good marriage is not an accident. Now, I shouldn't have to say this, but some people think that just by staying together a long time, um, they, that, that's what equals a good marriage. You know, Ed and Valora are celebrating their 60th anniversary this coming summer. You just heard them share the fact that they've been together for 60 years isn't what makes their marriage great. The fact that they've deliberately worked at marriage together, had a shared ministry, the fact that they've been intentional about their marriage, it's a good marriage, has kept them together for 60 years. It's, you know, it's just an awesome thing. But just because you've been together for 60 years does not necessarily mean you've had a good marriage. Um, some of you are willing to put up with very mediocre and you just don't even know better, but I'm telling you, God has more for you than what you've got. God's made marriage to be a deep, 
partnership of oneness, of unity, where healthy, affirming interaction happens consistently. A great marriage means both husband and wife feel safe and supported and encouraged and valued by the other, treasured by the other. The New Living Translation, what we just read, right, says that treasure, guys, particularly, I'm going to, because it's specifically addressed to men, men, do you treasure your wife? When those of you who are in that stage of dating, do you think about the person you're dating as a person to be treasured or just taken advantage of, just used? Or even as a couple, do you treat each other as irreplaceably valuable? You see, I've observed some couples who don't treasure one another. They put each other down. They use lots of sarcasm and cutting humor. Some play hurtful pranks on each other. Some some rarely spend time uh, together. Others, you know, have a relationship where alcohol and pornography and romance novels, maybe an obsession with sports or, or spending, are actually keeping them apart. I've, I've seen couples who are physically harmful to each other. They throw stuff at each other. They hit. Uh, there are just maybe others who are just carelessly neglectful. None of that is God's intention. Here's the real problem with that. Some of those people believe that that's normal, that that's a normal married life. And that because they haven't divorced, therefore they have a good marriage. I'm telling you, that's not, that's not a good marriage. I made a random and incomplete list. 15 signs of a good marriage. So in no particular order, and indulge me if you will, 15 things, symptoms, let's say, of a good marriage. I'd say you probably have a good marriage if you and your spouse easily and often compliment each other, if you say nice things to each other, right? You probably have a good marriage if you laugh with each other and not just at each other. You probably have a good marriage if your spouse is simply your favorite person to be with. You probably have a good marriage if you look forward to a shared day off. You probably have a good marriage if you look forward to bedtime. You probably have a good marriage if you know each other's computer password. You probably have a good marriage if you look for practical ways to please and to serve the other. You probably have a good marriage if you love being in the same room even when no one is talking. You probably have a good marriage if you speak well of your spouse to others, your friends and family members. You probably have a good marriage if you can talk about Jesus and to Jesus together. Prayer. You probably have a good marriage if you can talk about finances, politics, or sex without killing each other, even when you don't agree. You probably have a good marriage if you fondly talk about past dates and courtship. You probably have a good marriage if you communicate with the goal of understanding each other rather than the goal of getting your crazy partner to agree with you. You you probably have a good marriage if your Facebook includes at least some photos of your spouse. This, This week, last week, Becky and I had a friends that we knew in college and we're both on she's on both of our Facebook. And we just assumed that she was either widowed or divorced because there were no pictures of her husband, no mention of him ever. We're like, well, we've been out of contact long enough. Like, how do we, like, find out what's really going on? And then all of a sudden she said, I want to wish my anonymous 
my husband, who was anonymous on Facebook, a happy birthday. I love you. Happy anniversary or, anniversary or something. I thought, oh, okay, he's alive still. I, I didn't know that. But um, it was a little bit scary. And one last one, number 15. You know, you probably have a good marriage if you know at least one of your spouse's love languages. Hopefully you do. All right. So for a moment here, let me talk to those of you who are not yet married. Those of you who desire to be but aren't. Proverbs 18.22 puts it this way, right? We just read it. He who desires, he who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. She who finds a husband finds a treasure. To find a spouse, the treasure, the good thing, to find means that someone had to seek, to look. I admit I found my wife Becky somewhat accidentally in that uh, I met her while I was not actually seeking. Uh, I was a college student. I was away from home. And so the first thing I did was find a good church. Got into with that had a good college group. And as, as part of that church, um, you know, they had a, a small group Bible study. So I joined that as soon as that was available. And boom, there she was. Or she would say, boom, there he was. All right. Now, we did not meet in a bar, we didn't meet on Snapchat, we didn't meet on a blind date, right? I suppose we were passively looking, the point is we were looking in godly places, we were looking in the right kinds of places. Those of you who are, you know, maybe young and single in 20s or 30s and you desire a spouse, let me just tell you, it's okay to be single. The Apostle Paul says, I wish you were all single, I feel like that's better is what the Apostle Paul says. But if you desire to be married... That's also a good thing, because Proverbs says you found a good thing. And I'm just saying, if you're going to find a treasure, look in the right places. Don't look in the garbage dump for a treasure. Look in the right places. Those of you who are married already, you know a good marriage is not an accident. It's going to take some effort. Now, I can recommend some resources to you if you're not sure where to get started, but read a book, listen to a podcast, take in a a marriage retreat, uh, spend some money on making your relationship better. Have an honest heart-to-heart with your spouse. Stop settling for a mediocre relationship. Make it awesome, because it's a terrible message to your family, and it's a terrible message for the gospel when your marriage is not... It's not good. Make it great. Now, we always say that a great marriage takes a great effort, but let me be careful to, to say it's not, that doesn't make it a chore. It's not like, oh, I've got to so much work. Oh, it's not like that. It's really enjoyable, right? If you can learn one big secret that I'm going to share. Now, this sounds a bit like clickbait. I'm going to tell you a great big secret. Number seven will blow your mind. Whoa, right? Well, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's stand together as you find this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Because there's an important secret in this passage. It's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a pretty unruly bunch, the the church in Corinth. Uh, They've come out of real uh, pagan background. And um, they're, you know... Kind of wild in some ways, but 
They have written Paul a letter. And one of the quests, one of the things they've said in their letter to Paul, because we know from the way he responds, they've said, hey, probably nobody should have uh, sexual relations. And so the, the Apostle Paul responds. 1 Corinthians 7, chapter 1. Now, regarding your, the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, it, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Verse 3, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Let me just stop there for a moment. That was a radical concept in this cultural context because women did not have value and worth as, as they do today. You've got to understand, you guys, it's always been Christians who have elevated the value of people who have been marginalized. For example, women other races, and so on. So you've got to understand that, that Christians are the ones who are always elevating the value of the person, including Paul here to the woman saying, men, she's your equal. That was a, that was a mind-blowing radical concept. Okay? You give authority over your bodies to one another. Verse 5. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come back together Again, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a, con- as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. You can be seated together. Now, no doubt, maybe you're, some of you are wondering, you might be one who is saying, why, why, do we really have to talk about sex this morning? Like, really? I feel a little uncomfortable. This is church. Oh, right? Um, the guys, of course, are fine um, with that. But um, they're like, yeah, finally. Oh, yeah. Um, look, this passage is about marital intimacy, but the passage really does reveal a big secret. And that's this, that a husband and wife belong to each other. A husband and wife belong to each other. You see, when you marry, you give authority over your body You give authority over your body to your spouse. It's one reason why sex outside of marriage creates such devastation in relationships. When you're sexually intimate with someone who you are not, or not yet even, if you're engaged, if you're someone you're not married to, you are giving authority over your body to someone who is not legally or spiritually qualified to have that authority. They do not have the rightful place, but you've given it to them anyway. Right? So that's why breakups... Uh, are so hard when a dating couple has been having sex. It literally tears them apart, but leaves strings and strands attached that can hang on for a long, long time. A lifetime even, if you don't get healing from the Lord in that. Sex is meant to permanently and repeatedly seal the marriage covenant. That's what it's for. It's meant only only in that bond. So thankfully, Jesus is the great healer and the great restorer. And he's so merciful to us if we've blown it. But I'm just saying, it's so much better to do it right the first time. It's so much better to follow God's plan because he wants wholeness for you. And he's created something of great pleasure and joy for you. Now, this is a sexual principle, this idea of belonging to one another. But it covers every area of marriage as well. 
You know, have you ever caught yourself saying or thinking to your spouse? I might have done once or twice. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. You might not have said it quite like that, but you've thought in your breath, she's bossing me around again. Um, You know what? Your spouse is the boss of you. It's true. Because you gave yourself to him or her. You signed up not to be served, but to serve, to please your partner. Now, that's both of you. If if only one is following this pattern, it makes for a very difficult marriage. But if you both in Christ commit to serve and please one another, you are the boss of each other. Now, women, some of you feel like you've done nothing but serve and serve and serve your spouse, and yet you feel totally taken for granted in a a completely one-sided relationship. But I would ask you, have you ever actually taken the effort to communicate to your spouse kindly and clearly what your needs are? Do you you firmly and lovingly speak up without name-calling and without nagging? Right. Tell him, hey, here's what I need from you for this relationship to work. You have to be able to communicate needs and expectations if you're going to function as equals together in your relationship. As an example, my son Alex um, underwent a nasal surgery this week of some kind up in there. And in the pre-op appointment, his doctor explained, you know, what he would do, you know, what, what we could expect of the doctor. And then, you know, what Alex needed to do, you know, so what the doctor's expectations were of us. It was a sort of like... You know, Doc says, I'll do this and this, and you do thus and thus, and that's how this will work. It's the only way this will work. Jonathan, I'm sure you've had that same experience many, many times. And then the doctor asks us, was there anything else you need to know from me? Right? It was this total give and take relationship of communication, expressing our needs, our expectations, and, you know, reach arriving at an understanding so that the whole thing could be successful. Well, couples, you need to do the same. Like, I belong to Becky, my wife, and she belongs to me. And we don't have the right to say no to each other. But we also don't have the right to demand anything from each other. So it's, it's a healthy and robust balance. Right? I, I, I do need her to tell me what she needs and not expect me to read her mind. Women, can I just tell you this? Your, your husband cannot read your mind. And when you say, well, if I have to tell him, then it just doesn't mean anything. He just, he should just know better. I remember when we were newlyweds, I, you know, I, I didn't, I grew up with a couple of brothers in the house. My sister was long gone by the time I was old enough to remember. So I didn't really know how to be around a woman and, um, I remember early on in our marriage, she said, I need you to, Sunday mornings when we're getting ready for church, I need you to tell me that I look nice. And I need you, to, if I ask you how this looks, I need you to say it looks great. I thought, that is the dumbest thing in the world. Why would I need to, right? But she was communicating her needs to me, and you know what? I love doing that because I want to please her. I want to make her happy. And... um if you ever see her and she looks terrible, don't say anything. No, I'm just kidding. 
she's working today. She's very disappointed she can't be here because she loves to know what I say about her when, when I speak. Um, but, wives, you're, you, you have to express because um, husbands don't read minds very well. I know wives read minds pretty well because there's not much up there usually. Uh, just a couple of, you know, it's just like the, just the sports scorers and a few other things are just scroll, kind of scrolling across. And you can pick up on that pretty quickly. But look, if you do not clearly express your needs and your feelings, you have no right to complain when your spouse does not meet those needs and feelings. If you haven't expressed it, don't expect that they know. It's not a reasonable expectation. It's very unkind and unfair. So explain that. And you know what's true in every relationship, not just marriage. In your workplace relationships, your colleagues, uh, your church, express... Here's what I need for this relationship to work, just like we did with our doctor. Here's what I need. Here's what you need. Here's how we're going to serve one another in this relationship. So let me give you one more example. I'm a, I'm a recovering workaholic. I, I used to habitually um, just work. I just worked. And I would get home late always. And So finally when we got cell phones, my wife said, look, I need you to tell me when I can expect you home. And if you're not going to be there by that time, then can you call me? So I know not to expect you. So I know everything's fine and, and that you'll be late. Now, I could have said, woman, just relax, will you? You're not the boss of me. I'm doing this for us. I don't have to tell you where I am all the time. Leave me alone. I'll get home when I get home. I'm supporting our family. I mean, I could have thrown out all those kinds of sayings, and some guys do. But you know what? That would not have helped our relational connection, would it? It would have driven a wedge between us. Because I love her and because I've given authority over my body to her, I gladly do so. Couples, you belong to each other. You're not your own anymore. By the way, that passage, 1 Corinthians 1, I mean 7, 1 through 7, is actually about sex. So married couples, you are not to deny one another in the sexual relationship. If one of you is refusing intimacy, or if you're both refusing intimacy because you've decided to just be indifferent about it, short of it being medically or physically impossible, you are disobeying Scripture. And you're putting your partner under a crushing load of temptation. So, don't say no. If you need some help with this, if there's a tension point in your marriage, you're fighting about this, Get to a counselor and get some help. Don't let this fester in your marriage. Don't let this grow. Well, I've, I've probably left the most important point for last. So with a few minutes we have left, let's, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 6. I've just got it right up here on the screen. Jesus is speaking. He's been asked about divorce, actually, and here's his response. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made the male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. You've heard that phrase, every wedding you've ever attended. Therefore, whom God has joined together, let no one separate. This is about purpose. God's purpose for marriage, third point in your outline, God's purpose for marriage is oneness and partnership. Oneness and partnership. There's this powerful phrase in that passage. This 
explains why, Jesus says, or I think NIV puts it, for this reason. Well, what reason are we talking about? For this reason, the man leaves his parents and is joined to the woman. The reason? It's because God made them in his own image, male and female, right? And they are joined together to reflect the complete nature and glory of God. The reason we join in marriage is because that's how God designed the man and woman. Not just randomly partnering up, not just having sex wherever you feel like, but join together in a relationship of lifelong oneness because that glorifies God. It's even what the New Testament uses, the marriage relationship to reflect the relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus the groom, the church the bride, who will one day be united. Not only that, Genesis 2 verse 18 records something really interesting. If you're familiar with the, the creation passage, you know that over and over again, God, as he creates, he says, and he saw that it was what? Yes, he saw that it was good. Oh, but what happens in verse 18 of chapter 2 in Genesis? Is there something not good? Did God create something not good? It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Jesus said, for this reason, because God has created this relationship, for this reason a husband leaves his parents and is joined to his wife. It's not good for the man to be alone. God saw that the man was not suitable to partner up with any of the animals because we're not animals. He created a partner, the woman of equal flesh and blood. God intentionally did not create the man to be totally self-sufficient. He couldn't do it. He needed... We're, we're created with the need for a partner. Right? So God saw fit to make humankind as interdependent, needing one another. And it's not that... That male and female marriage is, you know, one of a number of good options. Well, you could have a man and a woman if, you know, if that's what suits you. No, that is the option. That, that is the only way that God's created and God's designed for us. Male and female, because it reflects the glory of God. And God made the woman not to be a servant for the man, not to be, you know, work in the Garden of Eden, but to be a full partner, to rescue him. And if you want to read about this, John Eldridge does a great job with this women in a book called Captivating, uh, to rescue him out of being alone. To complete the picture of balance and tension of both male and female. All right, I'm, I'm going to just do a sidebar here because I don't often get to address this. To be clear, Jesus is again affirming creation as the Bible teaches it. Friend, to choose, to choose the religion of Darwin over creation and this may sound strong, but to cruise, choose the, create, the, the religion of Darwin over creation is to reject Jesus. Because Jesus taught that creation. In evolution, there's no reason for marriage. There's no reason for two sexes. There's no reason even for Jesus to save us because there would be no fall into sin in the garden. If we evolved, God does not create. If God did not create, you're your own boss and anything goes. You answer to no one and nothing but your passions. So as for sex, any gender, any time, anywhere, bathrooms and all, it doesn't matter. The devil has been at this for a long, long time. He does not want you to believe that God deliberately created you and created you and loves you as 
man and woman. Whether or not you ever marry, whether you stay single, whether you were married and you're now single, it doesn't matter. God created you as you are on purpose. Scripture is emphatic on creation over and over again. That God created, that's his name is creator. God is not the one who starts a spinning top and like, well, let's see what happens now. Oh, oh, fish, I didn't see that coming. That's not how it works. God created, and to reflect his image, he created male and female, needing one another, designed for us to be joined by the sexually intimate, unifying partnership of marriage in a covenant. So in God's plan, marriage is for life. It's a lifelong covenant bond of oneness and partnership. Oh, man, we, man, we could talk. There's so much that we want to say about this. You've got to get this. Here's the good news. God's amazingly gracious. God is a gracious, gracious God. We sing about it all the time, and it's true. So if you've suffered divorce... If you've been unfaithful in your marriage, if you've given away sexually what belongs only to your future spouse, I want you to know God can restore what's been lost. He can bring healing to your life and healing to your relationships. It's not a lost cause. That's how good God is to you. He loves you. And I want you to know there's no perfect person, including you, including me. If you think you have it tough being married to your spouse... Imagine how it is for your spouse to be married to you. I wouldn't marry me. Just saying. Right? And if you aren't working at making your marriage great, why should your partner bother? A great marriage is no accident. A great marriage is no accident, especially when a couple learns this great secret. You belong, literally, legally, spiritually, you belong to each other. And then yielded to God, a couple can pursue God's plan of oneness and partnership. If you sort of dozed for the last half hour, you think, oh, it's over? I missed that. Let me just summarize it this way. If you're married, don't be selfish. Be kind. Serve your partner. Be faithful. Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Don't be grudging about it. Be positive. Your marriage is not an accident if it's good. If it's bad and you're hanging together, it might be an accident. Good marriage is not an accident. I will say this. If any of the things that I've talked about today kind of touch a nerve for you, you're like, oh man, I think maybe things aren't as good as I thought they were. Um... We have staff. We have pastoral staff. Ed, who you saw here before. Pastor Stephen, who was up here before, myself. Uh, we'd love to ha- be able to speak with you. If you feel uncomfortable with that, we're happy to, be, uh, to recommend a counselor. There's people who can, who've got skills and training in helping you walk through these things. You do not have to settle for mediocre. Don't buy that lie. It can be great. It can be great. If you'll choose to make, do, the right, do the right things, make the right decisions, God is so kind and loving to you. Let's bow our heads in, as we close in prayer. God, uh, I just feel at a loss for words because you created this magnificent partnership of marriage and just even talking about it makes it feel inadequate. Lord, it, it, it reflects your glory when a couple are in love to one another, when they're, 
when they're sexually intimate, when they're, when they're spiritually intimate, Lord, when they, when they love each other and love those around them, God, it is a, it is a marvelous picture of your intense uh, holiness and your, and your beauty. God, I, I just, I know you have so much more for us. I just ask, God, that you would lead us into that kind of wholeness. Lord, for those marriages that are struggling today, Lord, for those couples who are listening to this and thinking, that's impossible, I'll never get there. God, I ask that you'd restore hope today. God, I pray that you'd lead them to the people that can help and resources that will give them skills so that we can be a church full of, of, of people, whether single, whether married, whether wanting to be married, whether divorced, Lord, whatever, wherever stage we're at, God, that in every situation we'd be a church full of people there are loving you and reflecting your glory. God, we're so grateful for this moment before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.